Wanted to kick things off with uh, the music of recent guests right here on the Brian Oak Show. Uh, the Black Widows, Minnesota music, Roxotica, surf, crazy stuff. And um, they were so wildly intelligent and interesting and fierce and femme forward that I haven't really been able to stop thinking about that episode or that meeting with the Black Widows when they came in here. And it made me think, like, I've seen them live twice, and it's awesome. It's like seeing our own homegrown version of the B-52s. And I'm not trying to redu- reduce them to a, a caricature or or a preconceived thing that already happened, because they're definitely their own thing, but they've got that same kind of cool-ass party vibe. And we're having this gorgeous day, right? It's Tuesday outside. It's sunny. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's like well, It's totally tu- Tuesday outside. It's <laughs> Tuesday everywhere, man. It's Tuesday <laughs> everywhere. Think about it. Get your head around <laughs> Tuesday, bro. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it's, it's a gorgeous day in South Minneapolis. And here we are in the Smart Start MN studio for episode 155 of the Brian Oak Show podcast. And I invited our current guest on today because he is a Minnesota staple. He's played in with and helped more bands than I could possibly list off if I started now before the end of the show. He's, but he occupies a very interesting space in the local musical realm where he has both been in bands and then advocated for bands and worked for state offices and elected officials and helped those two connect because we'd all like to think that, like, man, you just got to pick up your guitar and rock, brother. It's all you got to do. <laughs> it's all sadly, about you. Just sadly, about you. <laughs> nothing is ever that simple and certainly not in the times we live in now. Before we move any further, I should say hello to Sean. Hi, Sean. Oh, hello, Brian. How are you? Oh, I'm just dandy. Well, now, see, when you say it like that, I don't know if you're being sincere or if you're full of shit. You know what, man? I am okay today. Yeah. Like, there's been a lot of crazy shit going on in the world. and uh, Remember how when 2020 was over, everything was going to be fine in 2021? Yeah. And here we are in mid-May of 2021. And while the world's not necessarily on fire like it was so many times during 2020, it's still not perfect. I mean, it's... It's let's call it a work in progress. Yeah, and people don't know what to do with themselves right now. And and now I'm double vax plus three. Yeah, and still we don't know what the hell to do. And so it's going to be a while this. till like, we know. So you feel safe right now, but it also doesn't turn you into some cocky jackass patriot who's like, I'll go wherever I want without a mask because I don't have to follow the mask mandate. You're still a reasonable human being. I am, but instead of wearing a mask now, I just bring like one of those big sandwich board signs that just says double vaxxed so people feel safe around me. Not good enough. The weird thing is, is like people enough. don't, you, you don't know if somebody not wearing a mask has been double vaxxed right. plus whatever. So it's, it's kind of odd because you feel like you've got to just tell them, you're, everybody, your situation. Well, and there were hey, so good many, to see you. I'm double vaxxed. There were so <laughs> many people prior to the vaxes rolling out as quickly as they have that were completely comfortable not wearing a mask and going to a bar and doing whatever. And I almost, you know, you've got to find the sweet spot between, you know, wearing something on your sh- shirt, an epaulette or something that says, I am vaxxed. Because you also don't want the other thing where, you know, like the, the evil German SS guy who's like, papers like you know you don't want to be checking everybody's papers all the time i just asked a friend of ours who works at the parkway like what are you guys gonna do for shows are you gonna ask people if they're vaccinated or not he goes no we're gonna do the honor system that's what apparently what first ab is gonna do and some of these other places it's just gonna be the honor system that be kind and safe and then we're gonna trust people 
seems like a good idea. They've proven pretty trustworthy in the past. Uh, We're going to get to today's guest because he's going to have an interesting perspective. This is a guy who was out constantly prior to everything shutting down and now is finally getting a little taste of that again. And to me, it's very interesting what different people's perspectives are, not only being in a band, which is a huge part of what we do on this particular podcast, but what it means to slowly come out of this shell. I'm going to be honest, Sean, this has been a weird first year for the Brian Oak Show podcast. We got together and started (laughs) doing this at a very odd time. We started December of 2019, and then the world literally changed into something we had never seen before. So it's been interesting to get people's perspectives, to watch the journey, to play along with the journey, and now the journey is going to take an interesting new development over the next couple of months. We'll talk more about that just ahead with Andy Holmes. First, though... um, When I reached out to Andy and I said, I need three songs because every guest who comes on the show, whether they're a musician, whether they are, I don't care what they are, everybody loves music. And to me, one of the best ways to get to know people is by listening to the music they enjoy and letting them tell the stories about those songs, those bands, whether they played in them, whether they grew up with them, whether they love them, whatever. And he said, I always feature Minnesota music, which is something I love because I'm also highly provincial and I also love, love, love this place. We're in South Minneapolis right now. We talk about this on virtually every Mm -hmm. podcast. We're proud of where we are, and that's really what this show is about, the stories of the people of the Twin Cities. And this band I know almost nothing about, but I woke up with it in my head the other day, and it goes back to the early 90s, my first days at Radio K, when Radio K first launched in October of 93. I... Found a handful of songs. I mean, I played a ton of stuff. You know, you, we've all heard Radio K, right? It's all over the map. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Bull in a China shop kind of stuff. But that's what kids should be into. They should be all over the map musically. You're not going to love all of it. But I found a handful of songs and a handful of bands that I loved. And this was a Minnesota band called Big Red Ball that I think back then I knew a little bit about. But Christ, that was almost 30 years ago. So if I knew anything, I've completely forgotten it. But I know for a fact that I love this song. It is Big Red Ball with One Day on the Brian Oak Show.
For me, that was a very, very heady time. The late 80s and early 90s in the Twin Cities, going out to see shows. Back then, First Avenue used to paper every show. So you'd go out one night, and on your way out, they'd literally stick a, a two-inch yeah. stack of freaking <laughs> comps into your hand because they weren't worried about making money on, on the door. They were going to make money at the bar, right? And so you'd come back, you'd be like, who the hell are the butthole surfers? I don't know. I'll go check them out. And you'd have the time of your life. Yep. Well, it, it, local bands, international bands, whoever the case, it was such a heady time. And then you'd wander into the entry some night for a buck or two bucks, and you would see a local band that you've never heard of and maybe would never hear again. But all of a sudden, you can't take your eyes off the stage. That's the magic of that live music experience. And it can be some, you know, local blues outfit past their prime yeah. out at, you know, Redstone or wherever. I mean, <laughs> but it, it can be not now, Redstone. It, it's it, not often, but it can be right. Like you never know where that moment's going to happen. <laughs> and for me, that's one of those songs I remember hearing it the first time, and I've I've loved it my entire adult life. Right there, Minnesota music from Big Red Ball. That song is called One Day. Want to know anything else about the band? Got to go somewhere else, not right here. This is The Brian Oak Show. It's made possible by Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. What the hell is ignition interlock? Does it have something to do with Elon Musk and SpaceX? No. It has to do with if you have been accused of a DUI, charged with a DUI, you will lose your right to drive, and you're going to want to get back in your car. The single best way to do it by Minnesotans who put this program together is with our friends at Smart Start MN. Yeah, and if you go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show, you'll get 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock Elon Muskville. <laughs> nope, nope. Deal. Nope, except for that last part right yes, there. Everything yeah. else was true. Uh, and also Mike and Ed are big music heads, and uh, they're great guys. Speaking of big music heads, our guest today is Andy Holmes. Andy has been in and out of Minneapolis bars, venues, and politics. One of my most, in, I mean, very intrigued by this aspect of it since 2005. Now, he plays in Whiskey Rock and Roll Club, a local band, as well as a handful of other bands, but he's also worked for a former mayor and lots of other politicians to help local bars and venues with their government relations and working in travel and tourism for Minneapolis. He's covered a lot of bases with a focus on elevating local music and art. So whether playing in a local band or working through the necessary government agencies and, and avenues, local music is at the heart of what Andy has been about for his adult life. Does that sound fair, Andy? That sounds fair. Thank you for such a kind introduction. Well, yeah. I mean, you wrote it. So yeah, good uh, point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but 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 here's the important part. I don't feel like it's a puff piece. I don't feel like I, I don't feel like any of it's in, disingenuous. So before we get into yeah, it, yeah, and yeah. you know, I want to know about your love of rock and roll. I'm very fascinated by the government work because as I said at the top of the show, you know, people think like, oh, you just get out there and rock, you show up with your gear a couple hours early, you sound check you do it there's so much more at stake and it's a constant level of work and promotion to keep it moving to keep it vital to keep the scene vital and to make sure everybody has access or as many people as possible but before we get there anybody's first time on the show um we have to learn more about them you know actually one one quick thing i need to share before i like delve deep deep into your past um the last time i saw you in person and it was a long time ago it was at the we were in Northeast, 
Where was the Eric B and Rakim? Uh, oh, over at 331. 331, yeah. right? So we were at the 331, and, you know, Andy and I aren't like best buds, but we've crossed paths a few times over the years. And at one point, he walked by, and I had just gotten a haircut and maybe had shaved off my beard or trimmed it up real tight. And Andy walked by, I'm like, hey, man. And he looked at me, and you looked at me like uh, you looked right through me. I was a ghost. You didn't recognize me, and I didn't take it personally because I'm not that guy. I'm never trying to make the scene or any of that. I'm oh, like, oh no! But no, no, I had just gotten a haircut, and uh, you know, I'm like, hey. And so I reached out to you on social media. I'm like, you know, that was me that said hi tonight. You're like. What? When did you say hi tonight? It was fantastic. It was I wonderful. am so sorry. <laughs> Why would you apologize? I told you that's not the bit. It was what just... a smug bastard you <laughs> are. No, no. Because... That's why we brought you here today. But just yeah, to yeah. call you out. Here's why it was wonderful is because that's not who Andy is. So, Andy, let's find out who you are, man. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. Okay. So 72 miles south of Canada, 45 east of North Dakota. Yeah, and did you... let me ask you this because a lot of people who come from... Small towns. I mean, I didn't even come from that small town. I came from Coon Rapids and got to Minneapolis the freaking second I could. Did you enjoy growing up there? No. Okay. N- not even a little bit. Okay, uh, fine. And that's fine. Were you created in the DigiKey Labs? Uh, you know, my mother actually works there. Well, there's a shock. Yep. And then my, my father worked at Articat <laughs> Snowmobiles yep. for many, many years. Because it's the law up there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my dad actually had a cool role up there, though. He, um, from 86 to 2002, he designed the decals on almost every sled that came off the wow. line. Wow. Come that on. That is a pretty cool gig yeah, that... for being on Teef River. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of tension up there about whether flames were cool or if that was just hot rod culture or things like that. But... Tell me about it. Well, and apparently your dad was at the heart of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it's a big debate. May I ask, without derailing the show too much, what is DigiKey? You know, even people who live there <laughs> yeah. don't quite know. It, it's a, they, it's one of the major industries up there? Yeah, and they've, okay. they've expanded to many places around the country. My mother does payments in yen, in euros, and my understanding wow. is they take technology parts and make them accessible not on a 400,000-piece deal. Like, they can break okay. it down for a tech shop to get 20. Okay. My nephew's father lives there and works for okay. in Thief River and works for DigiKey and he has been trying to get me to come and visit him in Thief River for twenty <laughs> years. But my nephew lived in Thief River for many years and he's like, Don't do it. Yeah. Don't there, go. There, there is an amazing music store. Joe Keyzar really? has an unbelievable music store up there. And I still play in bands with his kid who is taking over the shop now. Wow. Fantastic. Okay. So but you say growing up there like and so I felt the same way about Coon Rapids. I did not love Coon Rapids. Yeah. I met a handful of friends. I had my crew, but it was very small, and it was clearly not the place that I was supposed to be. I had to go find somewhere else. Is that what that kind yeah. of thing you're yeah. talking about? Mine was, mine was. I'm going to go to Minneapolis and stay with my sister, and then I'm going to move to a major city. Oh, yeah. And then I just never left Minneapolis for like seven years. I worked in D.C. for a little bit, but I just much prefer Minneapolis over every place I've been. Well, and I mean, you know, that's that's the whole bit, right, is that you, is when you come from a smaller town, you get to Minneapolis, you're like, all right, now it's time to go to the big time. But Minneapolis is sort of that perfect combo of what you grew up with and what you knew and also still being a city that is bursting with culture and everything you could ever need. 
and a little more personable, not quite as faceless as a Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas. Not like me running into you at the 331. It's exactly. Perfect. It's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> perfect. Not that you remember. Um, so you grow up and, um, I mean, you played in bands, but and, and we will get to your work in politics sure. and, yeah, yeah. And, and doing all that, but I want to talk about your love of music. When does music first become important to you? Does that happen in Thief River Falls? It was before I could remember. Yeah. Um, my my dad took me to see Bob Dylan, I think, when I was 12. Like, as far as I know, he, he didn't read nursery rhymes. He read the Bob Dylan lyric book. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. My so, mom was the same way. Yeah, <laughs> so this, and it wasn't just that. Like, um, I went to Warp Tour when I was 15 or 16 mm. and tried to interview some guys for our local high school paper, and somebody told me about social distortion, and I was like, I don't know what that is. I'm going to drive 45 minutes to Grand Forks to buy a CD. And then I brought it home, and my dad's like, well, got to go buy all the rest of them now. Because he hadn't heard of them either. Like, right. it, it was a very music-centric thing. Like, the deal with my parents was I could play in the rock and roll band so long as either on Wednesday or Sunday I played in the praise worship band with my dad. Okay. I'm like, that's a yeah. fair deal. <laughs> if I have a distortion pedal, I'll do what you need. Look, man, the universe seeks a balance, man. If, pra- if playing in the praise band once or twice a week means you get to rock out, I can I can see making that deal and feeling good about it. Especially when you're 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. So so when did you first start playing? I mean, do you get a guitar? Is that what you first play on? Do you play on piano? What do you? How do you start? Uh, started with playing my dad's guitars growing up and then the neighbor so your dad was a musician yeah he still plays um in fact this weekend he was like i bought these two pedals which i don't know what do will you tell me how to work these out and I'm like sure dad here's a youtube tutorial and i got 20 minutes <laughs> but yeah so we started playing up there um started a pop punk band in middle school that lasted for a while what was it called uh generic Nice. Yeah, with a K, not a C, though. Of course yeah. not. Of course. Well, you're a punk band, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. The, uh, the drummer from that band is now playing mandolin, mandocello, guitar, and piano in a country band that I play in. Really? So he still lives up there, but he comes out for shows. Like alt country or country country? Pretty much the middle of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Somewhere yeah. in the middle. I mean, all right. we're all just trying to be the next Sturgill, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. oh, let's, let's be real. And I, none of us will be. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know what? I mean, if anybody, if nobody's listened to those last couple of volumes of Cut and Grass that Sturgill Simpson has put out, they're fucking spectacular. They're incredible. I, I'm not, I don't consider myself a bluegrass fan at all, but it runs the gamut from that thundering banjosis to some of the slowest, mellowest, saddest country music you've ever heard. Sturgill Simpson is sort of the epicenter of that right now. Yeah. And maybe not even sort of. Do they so, have a vaccine for banjosis? <laughs> dude, I remember about a year after Mumford & Sons became a thing, there had always been roots music, and particularly here in Minnesota, but I music began suffering from what I referred to as chronic banjosis. <laughs> and it got, it got a little heavy-handed there for a while, but it's very enjoyable when it's good. Luckily, that settled down. You know, we've managed to... We've what do we call it? Flatten the curve. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> on, on chronic banjosis, but there's still some very, very good stuff in that vein happening out there. What was the thing you said after mandolin? What was the next instrument? Uh, mandocello. Mandocello. I still don't understand that thing, but he plugs it in, and I love it. Is it like a guitar? No, it, it's. I think it's just a bigger electric mandolin, okay, as far as okay. I can tell. Mandocello, very good. So you play guitar. <laughs> you're in a pop punk band when you're a kid. When do you? pull up stakes, and head for the big city. I left a matter of days after my graduation. Yeah. Um, and my parents were kind. Uh, for my graduation reception, uh, my jazz trio played and didn't talk to anyone. 
Just played drums in a jazz trio for three hours, packed up my stuff. And off you go. Left town. Wow, very good. Yeah, and then it was supposed to just be a couple of weeks till I figured out my life. I was sleeping on my sister's couch. And after a couple of weeks, she's like, hey, why don't uh, why don't you get a job and start paying rent? <laughs> <laughs> hey. Weird. Yeah. Interesting. Someone who was already taking care of themselves wanted you to do the same thing. Yeah, weird. Thing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we're going to talk about your evolution there and, and your, your, your sort of evolution through the scene, going to clubs, but also working in, you know, government yeah. and working on behalf of bands, for bands, and sort of creating a really crucial bridge. But before we do that, let's hear your first song that you picked. Every guest who comes onto the Brian Oak Show has to pick out three songs to play and it doesn't it's not a test right it's not it's not a it's not a cool contest to me it helps inform who you are what you love to me it's another avenue getting to understand a person better tell me about the evening rig why'd you pick this one the evening rig are my favorite band yeah period i know how bold of a statement that is i know i've got (laughs) replacements tattoos and nitty-gritty dirt band tattoos and all that the rig are my favorite band well and see i don't there's no shame in that because when it comes to art appreciation, now while it's fun to rib my friends and it's fun to <laughs> it's fun to sort of spar over the the value and the maybe not so much value of various bands and artists, there's really not a right or wrong answer, right? And so anybody who takes umbrage with you saying the evening rig are your favorite band, like of all time. Period. The end. Period. I love that about you, man. That's fantastic. <laughs> See, there's there's no wrong answer when it comes to art appreciation, so good for you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the evening rig before you tell me why you picked this song. So my uh, the first time I saw the rig, they were opening for Limbeck over at the Hole Club. I, I knew of Limbeck. On from, the U of M, yeah, right? Yeah. Kaufman, right. I knew of Limbeck because they had done stuff with Small Towns Burn a Little Slower, and a couple of the Small Towns guys were living with my sister. I ended up joining Ryan Traster's band years later, and he played bass in that. So I went and saw the rig open up, and uh, after the first song, they, Jason Miller, their singer, puts his hands in the air, and he goes, hey, I know they use a dry campus, but we don't do dry. If uh, if you need us after the show, just follow the Miller Light cans to the van. <laughs> and they butchered half the set, and then they blew half the set out of the water, <laughs> and it was the great, greatest thing. And I, was, I wasn't I was of age yet. I was probably 18, 19. I had just moved to town. I didn't know rock and roll could be that ugly. I didn't know live rock and roll could be dangerous like that. And I fell in love. And then I started going to every show. And then years later, I started managing them. And this has just always been the one that hooked me. I, see, I love that story. That's amazing to me because some of my favorite rock and roll is is equal parts attractive and repellent, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like well, ACDC in the Bon Scott era, the cramps, like butthole surfers, I, who, again, weird. Never talked about them on the show. Never, in twice, twice today. And here we are twice. But they did the same thing. You're in awe. There is that that attraction and repellent, and you're like, holy shit, this is dangerous, and I have to be a part of this. Yeah, exactly. Fabulous. So why this song? Uh, I, I just, it was the first one that had a good hook on it. I liked the lyrics, and it was like, oh, I could be this guy. I could be sitting on a bus wondering where this person's going. And I just wasn't used to relatable music like that.
Currently residing in the Where Are They Now file. <laughs> Little Spinal Tap reference there. Uh, that would be the evening rig. And you, while we were enjoying that song, just told me a story of real heartbreak that they were so amazing and so good live, but it just wasn't their primary passion. Yeah, they, they all have great other jobs and they just never really loved it towards the end. So I'd get them in practice space for three, four weeks. They'd practice once out of those three, four weeks. They'd do a show and call her a day. Wow, that's wild, man. It, 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 I mean, it, oh, the world we live in is so unpredictable and so unusual, sometimes brilliant and other times absolutely heart-wrenching. Uh, more with Andy Holmes here in just a second. But first, I need to turn to my friend and cohort, uh, Sean Bernard. Sean, it is a glorious spring day. People it look is. outside. We're, we're a block and a half north of the parkway in South Minneapolis. We live in one of the most beautiful urban areas in the United States of America, it is green, it is lush, people are back outside, walking their dogs, wearing unfortunate bicycling outfits. <laughs> uh, there's so much going on right now, but this is also a time of year where people think about change, spring cleaning, but also after sitting around for the last year and a half, they're like, you know what, maybe it is time for a change. Are people still moving right now? They are. I just talked to a guy this morning and he's like, I was going to wait a year. And now I'm like, do I just do it? And and I said, you know, it just depends on what your actual plan is. And I said, if you're planning and just going to move someplace for a few years, uh, believe it or not, before this all went down, uh, the average uh, Twin City and moved every five years. Really? People don't believe that. They're thinking, well, that can't be possible. I, I would think 10 to 15 years. Nope. 
people would buy and sell every five years, which is not normal. It's not the way it used to be. A house is supposed to be a long-term investment. So I said this, what I've said to people is, if you're going to buy in a seller's market, A, the interest rates, rates need to be low, and B, you really should plan on staying there seven to 10 years or more so you get a decent return on investment. So if you know of anybody who's looking to buy or sell, 612-859-2594. And this year I'm doing something a little different. I'm donating a portion of every sale, whether it's on the buy side or sell side, to a local artist or musician of your choice. And so I've got a closing this Friday, and uh, that particular family, they're choosing, uh, I believe they're going to choose Julius Collins, who does his own uh, local music and pretty cool thing. So 612-859-2594. Exactly. Sean is a realtor by trade. Also, not bad for hanging out with here on the podcast on The Brian Oak Show. We can hug soon. Not yet. No, I feel like I feel like I, I think I think the CDC said at least eighteen months no, before hugs no, no, after the time. vaccines. It's time. Andy, you moved to the Twin Cities. You've always been a fan of music. You find these bands. When do you? So you get here. Your sister's like, let's pull it online. Let's yep, let's yep. do this. So you pull it online. At some point, when do you finally start getting out and playing? What's the first band that you're a part of? So two thousand six. Um, about. Ten months after I'd been here, I was writing some songs with some friends, not really getting anything serious, but uh, my sister had found me a job at the YWCA where she had been working. And what were you doing there? Handing out towels. Love it. Taking tokens. Dude, I was a a competitive swimmer for seven years, man. I'm all about getting a towel handed to me. I am not about fitness. Oh, I'm not anymore. That was a long time ago. But this gig was actually really cool. I met Steve Branstegg. Through that gig. I met John Munson through that gig. I met Ben Glaros through that gig. What? I met all of these amazing players who were like, oh, you're the young guy who wants to talk to me about music. Uh-huh. I've got 10 minutes while I'm working out. Right. Um, you know, Zach from Solid Gold used to work out there. Like, all of these cool musicians were at the Midtown Y. Right. And finally, my boss, who hired me as a favor to my sister, wasn't my sister's boss, was like, hey, I've got a cover band playing out in this town. Your sister says you play music. Come sing some songs. And I'm like, I'm not a good singer. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and um, Say yes more often. My, my sister and I were living a couple of blocks from the old Acadia when it was Franklin and Nicola. Mm-hmm. And she had told Ted over there, hey, my brother plays songs. Give him some opening slots. And Ben was like, well, I play. I play solo. Let's do solo shows. And I'm like, I'm not a good singer, but I'm still going to do this. And after, after a couple of years of that, luckily I got roped into politics and out of singing. And then after that, friends were like, hey, you used to play. Will you play guitar in my band? Will you play bass in my band? Will you do this? So luckily, I'm not singing anymore. I'm not being self-deprecating. I truly do not hold a tune well. I don't even sing harmony anymore. Right. I'm fine with that. Okay. But it started just by my my boss at the Y being like, come do this thing in the suburbs. Well, I mean, but it, but it got started, and it's been a part of your life it at least been. ever since then. But I want to get to me what is the meat of your story, because yeah. this is this is fascinating to me. So when you say you got roped into politics, <laughs> that's not a thing that just happens to the average person. Like, oh, I'm working at the Y, handing out towels. You know what? I'm into politics. How do you get roped into politics? This, this is a great question. Um, a sweet, sweet man, John Sylvester. He was my older sister's boyfriend when she was in, like, ninth or tenth grade. Hmm. Um, I've known him since he drummed in the high school jazz band when I played trombone in the middle school jazz band. 
and we were, did we you were, get his autograph? <laughs> How are we only just now hearing that you played freaking trombone? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, a concert band is a little different. What a you badass. Know? Yeah, I know, yeah, but yeah. I mean, like you, Commander William Riker. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The <laughs> list of famous trombone players is crazy. Anyway, this person gets a hold of you. Yeah. So in in two thousand five, he had started dabbling around and stuff with the DFL. And then 2006, he was working on the Patty Wetterling campaign. And it was like, come be my intern. Titles are free. Check this out. And I, I made a few phone calls. And then we lost to Michelle Bachman. And that's terrible. Oof. Mm-hmm. That's a hard first loss. I, yeah. And lucky for me, Oof. I wasn't on staff. I just had to be like, oh, I didn't volunteer enough. <laughs> there goes the country. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good luck. But then 07, Johnny, Johnny was one of the first Iowa staffers for Senator Obama. And he's getting really into it. And I'm living with my cousin at the time, who's real good friends with John. They, they start going down and volunteering all the time. John gets a job in Iowa. John spends the rest of the cycle going place to place and inviting me. And finally gets down to the last primary. You know, we've got South Dakota. Right. And John's like, dude, you haven't done enough. Get out here this weekend. He's like, we're going to play a show in Aberdeen. I'm like, good enough. I get out there. He's like, yeah, we're not playing in Aberdeen. Start knocking doors. I'm like, sure, I'm here. <laughs> so I, I love this That's because great. before I got into radio, I spent six years working for Clean Water Action Alliance. Oh, yeah. And so I did door-to-door, and then I was manager on the phone canvas for six years. But we worked through a great number of political campaigns, and most notably for me, and I'm imagining that the happy ending to your story about Obama is going to be similar to the one I had for Wellstone. I volunteered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in the most unlikely uphill, silly campaign that anybody ever could have undertaken. There's no way this guy's going to be a U.S. senator. (laughs) And it fucking happened, and all of us bright-eyed kids were fucking delirious. I mean, it just wasn't possible. And so when you tell me that you were working on you get down to the final primary for Obama. I can't imagine what election night must have felt like, man. Yeah, it was great. I so dry. You know, first we we secured the nomination in South Dakota, and I'm volunteering at this time. But uh, we get noticed the senator is going to come and do a final speech. So I get my book signed by the guy, and that's not something a kid from Thief River expects. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm driving back to Minneapolis, and I'm I'm speeding because I'm trying to get to the St. Paul speech where they announce that they've got the nomination. Right. And I get a call from the Minnesota staff, and they're like, hey, heard good things about you from South Dakota. When can you start? Not do you want to, when? Right. And I'm like... Because nobody says no to that. Well, most people should. Being a field <laughs> organizer is... You know, <laughs> oh, it's work. Yeah, it's yeah. work. But I, I, I go, give me, give me a minute to think about it. And the woman goes, okay, you can answer me by the end of tomorrow. So I call her back in about two hours. I go, I got to go give my immediate notice at the Y, and where do I go tomorrow? And she gives me an address, and that's how I started. That lasted until December, because I got picked up for a couple weeks after the election to help plan the future of Obama for America. And then while I was planning that and working with a small team on that in Chicago, I got an ask if I'd go to D.C. and work on the inaugural committee. Of course, I was saying yes. We had Springsteen playing that. We had Aretha Franklin I went to a jazz ball with Jay-Z. Our staff party had the arcade fire in Jay-Z in an, in an auditorium. What? Like, I traded a ticket that was given to me to watch Jay-Z and Beyonce in a theater. Like, I wasn't going to say no to all of the top-tier talent right. yeah. in one city at one time. Uh-huh. So I did that for a few months, and it was a lot. And then while I was bumming around D.C., R.T. called me. And I'd met R.T. Ryback during, yeah. during the campaign. And I'd respected R.T. Ryback since I moved to this city. And he goes, hey... 
I'm going to run for office and I'm thinking about running for governor. Do you want to come back? And I'm like, all right, when do I need to be back? And he's like, as soon as possible. So we did the mayor's race and we ended up having a coordinated DFL race for the first time. So 13 council members, six park board, one board of estimate and taxation and a mayor all on one, you know, one slat. And we run it and RT wasn't, scared of losing that race you know we got the endorsement with 91 percent or something like that mm. i think we tied half of a precinct because there's the one that splits between st louis park and here right um so it was a very fun race and it was also a great chance to become good friends with rt who is an unbelievable arts advocate uh leader and also just a city of mini Minneapolis advocate a place that we all love and i was always very very proud when i heard him talk when i heard him represent the city he clearly believed in it, and, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. Whether you're watching somebody live up on stage or yeah. whether you're listening to the bloviations of another politician, <laughs> you have to believe it, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole art of it, and and I don't think that there was any any artifice or deception there, but, like, if you don't believe someone when they're telling you about something that matters to you, well, then you don't believe it, and it's not there. I believed our team. Yeah, yeah. and my, my favorite thing about our team, like, I, I do love my dad a lot. My dad and I are good friends. RT was in like that for the whole staff, kind of a father figure position. And he was the same guy in the office, at home, and in public, which I don't see very often in politics. He was himself. He had, yeah, I mean, he not only had the good fortune to be himself, but insisted on being himself. Before we talk more about you moving forward in politics and how that translates directly to live music and how you've been out to see live bands and we're getting back to live music slowly. But surely, Slow and Steady wins the race. It's time to hear another song. Tell me about Nato Coles and the Blue Diamond Band. Nato is one of those people that I have met just through being out all the time. You know, you go to a Nato show and you've got a Patty Costello or a Billy Morissette watching it. You <laughs> know go to, those guys. You go, yeah, they've been on the show once or twice, huh? They have. You, you <clears> go <throat> to anything that Tony Zicardi's hosting, Nato's going to be mm. somewhere on the bill. What's very funny is we've talked about generic generic's first ever show was with a band called dingus who's still playing around town <laughs> sam their lead guitar player is now nato's lead guitar player what yeah it, it goes all the way back to my hometown with this band but full circle generic and dingus is there any chance of a reunion tour? <laughs> no <laughs> i couldn't for the life of me remember them uh the other thing that's great about nato is he reads more and understands history more and analyzes policy more than anybody more than i do nato is a political wonk really and he's like I'm going to I'm going to work my butt off at Mesa Pizza. I'm going to play all of these shows. I'm going to be instrumental to doing house shows and cool scene stuff. Also, I want to talk to you about what's going on with this native land in Missouri. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, also rip and rock and roll, which is my favorite part of it. Everyone who's ever mentioned his name to me, I don't know him. We've never met, at least not to the best of my knowledge or not when I've been sober enough to remember. I've never heard anybody say Anything less enthusiastic than what you just said about NATO right there, that there's not anybody else like him when you go to see him live. Why this song in particular? It's the fastest on the record for me. It, and I, I also really love that it's got, um, it does have a thinly veiled replace or not so thinly veiled replacements lyric in it. And it's just catchy.
Nato Coles and the Blue Diamond Band. Andy, is it safe to say that there's not really anybody else quite like Nato Coles? Yeah, yeah. Nato Nato has a dr- political drive, a very intense uh, stage presence, but also he is one of the people that I greatly respect for always trying to build community. Um, one of my favorite Nato stories is they were doing a yard party during pandemic, and the neighbors came over wanting to fight. And Nato was like, all right, everyone shut up. I'm going to talk to them one-on-one until we find a resolution. And then we can start drinking after. Wow. And that's how it worked. He talked to them one-on-one until everyone felt good. Everyone balanced levels. And then we started drinking after. I feel like there's some, there's a, there might be a lesson in there, whether you're having a yard party, (laughs) talking to someone at a retail establishment. At the halls of Congress. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Is that a thing? (laughs) Hey, speaking of, let's get back to that real quick, because we don't have a ton of time left, but to me, this is fascinating. So you become a rising star in local political circles, and you work with mayors, you do lots of political work, and part of that is connecting your love of the scene in the Twin Cities through necessary political channels. You know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you'd like to think, hey, just show up at the venue and bring your gear, load in, let's all rock, you can go home, and that's all that it takes. There's a lot more to that when it comes to outdoor shows. Or yeah. uh, Where do the worlds of music and politics collide? This, this was really, really interesting. Um, when I was still in RT's office, there was a meeting about an outdoor show with RT, Dana Frank, Sonia Grover, and Nate Kranz from First App. And they they were running into walls with regulations, with sound ordinance and permits, with capacity, with everything you can think of. And RT was like, well, Andy should probably help with you. And they come into my office and there's an oil painting that my father did of the club hanging on my wall. And they're like, yeah, we get it now. Okay. Um, And I do the best I can, but you can only do so much from inside the mayor's office. You Mm want to help the best you can, but... You know, I can't take any money. I can't take any tickets. I have to, you know, there's ethics at City Hall. About a week after RT and it leaves office, Dana calls me. Hey, you want to start doing government relations for first half? And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, so that has meant everything from an unexpected passing away of Prince and getting 24 hours to throw a 10,000 person party on the street. With I remember. All of the, lo- all of the permitting, mm. all of the... man. That stuff in order that that includes the Alabama Shakes out at Halls Island. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes Wilco out at Halls Island. Um, all of the work that's going on with the Upper Harbor Terminal. Um, and that's the new outdoor amphitheater, right? That's the goal. Yeah, that is the goal. There's 48 acres of land that can be, you know, commercial. Can be housing. Can be public parkland. Can connect north to the river for the first time in a generation. Right. And can be an amphitheater. There's been over 80 community meetings over the last six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, that also once, like P- Pat Dwyer from Grumpy's was like, I love the city of Minneapolis. Totally sincere. I hate paperwork. And I especially hate government paperwork. Right. Tony doesn't have the time to do this anymore. Can you do art oral for us? I sure can. Tony is now doing a whole summer series at Palmer's. Tony hates government paperwork. Uh-huh. Can, can you do this for me? You bet, bud. I can also set up a meeting so they can come down. And So is that it, what your life looks like today? You being a conduit from, I mean, because let's be honest, you know, you are a creative type, but lots of creative types or people who have visions, 
then they have to sit down and, well, it's kind of like Sean having to do our fucking taxes right, for this right, particular right. podcast, but obviously on a much grander scale, and you've got way bigger and far more frequent and difficult hoops to jump through. Is this what you do now? My, my full-time job as of six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, I left Meet Minneapolis, which is a, the travel and tourism mm-hmm. agency for the city. Right. They do great work, especially in incredibly trying times of a pandemic. Of course. A global uprising after the murder of an innocent black man. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, Meet Minneapolis does good work. They're up against some big hills right now. My full-time job is working under the umbrella of First Avenue, helping out with Dana and all of her scheduling and helping out with a lot of the political stuff. And then on the side, I help out my friends. The folks at Mortimer's, Grumpies, and Palmer's, I mean, it's rare I'm not wearing a hat, shirt, or combo of that. Right. <laughs> I want, and I enjoy their events. So right. if... uh there's a lot of people doing outdoor rock and roll and doing it in new ways. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to help make that as easy as possible because government doesn't really speak club speak. Right. Club speak doesn't really speak government. And somehow I've. Well, that makes you crucial. You're, you're like the delegate. You are the diplomat. And I understand that that probably is frustrating more often than it's rewarding. But when you do get over the hump yeah. or when you are able to help accommodate these things, because, you, I mean, you have a unique perspective in that government regulation, let's be honest, most government functionaries, and I'm not trying to paint with too broad a stroke, they're not thinking about the average person finally getting out of the house and drinking a plastic cup of beer and smoking a cigarette and watching somebody on the Palmer's deck. That's They just they have rules they have to follow, yep. and they have things they have to do. But then from a, 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 a venue's perspective, let's go ahead and use Zicardi as an example, and Palmer's, finally, we have a chance to get out here and do this. Let's do it. And you need to navigate these very specific forms and figures and processes that need to be covered. Yeah. You're completely right in that. One thing, dealing with government is difficult, period. Yeah. State, local, federal. There are a surprising amount of arts champions who are very creative, especially in the city of Minneapolis. Um, Some of the folks in permitting are like, if you're not breaking the law, we will find a way to make this decent. Wow. So, I mean, it, it's hard. It takes time. If if your paperwork isn't four weeks early, you're getting a fine. Well, and see, but this warms my heart because I, you know, you don't like to think of things being like 1984 right. or the movie Brazil, right? You don't want to think that it's so, such a quagmire of red tape and paperwork and nobody gives a shit about what you're trying to do that means everything, that means your heart, right? Whether you're a band or a venue or whatever. But when I hear, and I guess I'm not surprised to hear it, but it does warm my heart to hear that there are yeah. arts champions in the process of permitting art. And, you know, there, I'm not saying there aren't hurdles. The paperwork has to be correct on time. You have to figure out a recycling plan. Right. You have to figure out if you have the right amount of porta potties per people. You have to make sure you have the right amount of fully accessible porta potties. Right. You know, it, it isn't easy, but when you do it right, the city's like, oh, perfect. You know, when I, when I went into um, permitting for the first time for the city for Pat, they're like, Hey, Dwyer's doing it on time this year. That rules. And I'm like, yeah. Like, of course, they were like, of course, it's you making it on time. And I'm like, yeah, but now everyone's happy. And they're like, yeah, we'll have this signed off on by the weekend. Okay. So, well, they- but, but that's crucial. I mean, that's the, what you're doing right now is it for some people, I think the thought of, of government work or having to do paperwork is such a drag. But for the person who shows up at Art of World outside Grumpy's Northeast 
And even if it's pouring rain that day, which I've been there a it few times. Be. It always will It always will be. Rain. <laughs> but you show up at Art of World, and there are barricades, and there are police officers, and there are enough porta potties, and there is a tent, and everything's approved, and everything's up to code. Without someone like you doing that, we don't get that crazy, shitty, soggy, amazing day of rock and roll music outside in Northeast Minneapolis, right? Yeah. It, it, it is important. I, I understand that. And I'm... I'm grateful that RT gave me, you know, many years of here's the inside, here's how to do it right. I I haven't asked him yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing that as here's a tool for your future. Well, Cuz he had that foresight. And he's the guy too. So with that in mind, I mean, are you do you have an apprentice? Is there anybody you're trying to bring up to speed in this regard because I feel like this is a very specialized niche, right? Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is provide somebody with the tools to replace you. <laughs> but you also, I mean, like this is part of the growth of our city and it's only going to get bigger. There's only going to be more venues. This seems like something that more people should know how to do. That's a really interesting question. I have always said yes to my friends who've asked me, but I've never been like, oh, somebody should help me with this. Now, again, the thought of doing all that paperwork is a fucking nightmare. Oh, yeah, no goddamn way. <laughs> no, I'm not interested. But I just I wonder, you know, you're still young enough that you can do this for a very long time and you've created this great thing for yourself. Um, I just, you know, I hope that this sort of artistic expression meets governmental red tape nightmare, you know, that there there will be other people who will appreciate the, the necessity of that junction like you do. Yeah. It's pretty cool that you are a guy that's didn't grow up in Minneapolis, moved to Minneapolis, and has made the Twin Cities better through Thank your you. through your work. Thank, Thank you, you for that. I'm that, just it's phenomenal the work that you've done. Well Thank you. And I'm I'm not trying to be coy or anything, but let let's also give credit to the grumpies, the Tonys, oh, the yeah, Pats, the for sure. Of course. You know, the team at Mortimer's like they're asking me for help, but I'm helping them do something that they've already built. I'm just helping them do it. Well legally. it's your strengths and it's your <laughs> strengths. You know, they they don't have those strengths and it's it's very rare that somebody that, that is creative has that the left brain, right brain brain balance that you seem to somehow have. That's I, so rare. I had I had mostly quit playing music from two thousand eight until thirteen and um I, I did a brief stint with a band that maybe did five shows, maybe six. And uh, Taylor Carrick, who fronts the Whiskey Rock and Roll yeah. Club, he uh, he sent me a bunch of demos and goes, do you think the bass player of that band would play in my band? And I was like, nah, she doesn't even want to play in this band, let alone. <laughs> she flat out, she was telling us openly, I don't want to be in this band anymore. Right. Did you feel like a part of you was missing during that time? Like a part of your soul was missing, not playing music? In, in hindsight, yes. Okay. But in, in reality, I was so busy and I had two cell phones and I worked seven days a week. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that I was Too missing. busy yeah. to know. Yeah. But so Taylor sent me these demos and I was just like, okay, this has, this is loud this is gritty. I could see, I could see us playing trashed and it not mattering if we played completely sober yeah. and it not mattering. This has elements of, of blues. It has heavy riffs. It has uh, just loud stuff. I want to do this. And so after those demos, we sat around playing them for a while. And Taylor's like, dude, should we get a name before we find a drummer? <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 we're both sitting there drinking whiskey yeah. and I jokingly go, yeah, we're called whiskey. It's my favorite thing in the world. 
And then two days later, I see this email to Mark Deverage, who is one of my favorite drummers. I love High on Stress a lot. I'm still trying to get that guy in here. He's another one who is one of those central pieces of connective tissue in Minnesota music. Next time you talk to him, will you tell him to be on my podcast? I'm going to see him tonight. Then tell him. We we have <laughs> we have a practice space for the first time. I mean, we're playing in a couple of weeks, so right? yeah. We we have a practice space for the first time in four hundred days, which means all of my gear is out of my small apartment. <laughs> Look at that, baby! <laughs> so you've got a practice space. You're getting back together. Whiskey Rock and Roll Club. Your band is about to start doing things. Yeah, again. we are. How does that feel, man? I cannot put into words how good it is. I. The first weekend live music was out again. I watched four shows in three days. So you've been out recently. Yeah, I saw, I saw Low Rats and Eleganza breaking the sound system at Hook. Uh-huh. Hook is set up so good. Yeah. That's great. It, it's comfortable. It's easy. It feels safe. They, You set your phone on a table. They scan your phone. You pick your phone back up. There's a wristband waiting mm. for you. It is Joe Holland's masterpiece, yeah. Yeah, well, and they've always done a good job at Hook, and so I'm glad to hear that they're executing well because their commitment to artists, the fact that they're a nonprofit, the the great number of artists and things they have done there over the years since that place has been open. We love Chris Mozino. Oh, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, we we absolutely adore that place, so I am so glad to hear that they are set up for the summer. Hook is doing great. After Hook, I went to Palmer's, Mm -hmm. watched uh, Michael Gay and Old Country Buffet, watched Kai Brewster's Millions or whatever he's calling that thing now. (laughs) Right. Uh, Set up great. Tony expanded the patio greatly. Sounds great. New lights. Looks Mm. great. Christy Costello's booking it. She's... Tied She's a rock to everything. Star. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, um, of course, I went over and watched Mark play with High and Stress behind Hi-Fi and John right. Clifford. You, you don't say no to John Clifford. <laughs> I know you guys love each other deeply. Uh, I, I love I, him deeply. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very, very big fan of that particular <laughs> yeah. man, and he's been very kind to me. Yeah, so it was, uh, it's been a good couple of weeks. Um, yesterday, we did, uh, we had 1,500 slots. Not all of them were filled, but we had 1,500 slots of second doses of vaccines partnered with Hive over in First Ave's main room. Fabulous. So I was standing in the main room. I greeted everyone. I gave them a, ponce, a concert, First Ave, First Aid, Second Dose, One Night Only, 16 right. Plus. Right, Um Every single person that walked by, I'm not kidding you. I thought this a thousand times. One step closer to live music here. One yes. step closer to live music. I yes. cannot. I love these outdoor shows. I need the entry, and I need Mortimer's mm-hmm. so badly. I'm with you. I'm, I'm absolutely with you, and we'll get there. I want, I'm want. i going to slow play it still for me yep. personally. You know, it's up to the individual. I'm double-vaxxed, and I know a lot of these people will be. I'm still slow playing it just because it's been so jarring. It's been so unusual. It's been it really like nothing anyone's ever known, and I want to get back to it. The number of times I've stood in those dark, loud rooms, and I cannot wait, wait to get back to it. But I'm going to slow play this one yep. because I also don't want to be on a ventilator. We have to. Yeah. And I'm, st- like I said, double double vax plus three weeks. Yep. I'm still doing two masks when I go out in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because my friends might not be vaccinated and we might not have had that conversation. Yeah. Yep. It's the right yep. thing to do. And so just let, let's all slow play it and yep. everyone get your ass vaxxed. That's the other thing is now the supply is outpacing the demand and it's dropped off in almost 40% and get your ass vaxxed, continue to wear your masks and let's get back out and see some live fucking music. When's the next time that whiskey rock and roll club is going to play? We are on in 10 days, May 20th with, Black Widows, who were here last week, right? Yeah. We kicked off the set. I, right. Yeah, so Black Widows is playing. 
uh, warplane. I, I actually didn't know about that. That I, that yeah. was pure coincidence. Yeah. Really? That's. And I, I told you I listened to the episode. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's great. I'm like, oh, I listened for a very specific reason. <laughs> They're very, very smart people. Yeah. They're Wicked. very, very wonderful musicians. Yes, agreed. They also rip on stage. They're so cool live. Yeah. You're like, you're like, oh, like again, somewhere between the cramps and B-52s, yep. there's a dark surf Zotica thing going on there that I love. And Where's the show? This is at Hook and Ladder, and I think, oh, there's, wow. I think there's only 24 seats left. Okay. Most, we need to get some. All of the two up. pods are gone, and I think most of the four pods are gone. I, last I checked, there was 28. Okay. But it's-, it's I'm all, a one pod kind of guy, yeah. so if I can just- <laughs> You and I will count as four pod together. It, it, Hey, I've lost some weight. No, I know. You're getting thinner than I am. Knock it off. <laughs> yeah, so us, Black Widows, and then Low Rats, who is Joe Holland, uh, Mike from Narco mm. States, um, Ben from a ton of bands. He's playing drums now. And then Rob Sells, who's in every cool punk band there's ever been. <laughs> uh, Low Rats, and I know how bold this is. It's as bold as my rig statement. They are my favorite live Minneapolis band right now. I don't think there's anything wrong with making statements yep. like that. They're, they're just so passionate. The first time I saw them was at Mort's, and Mike... We, weren't, we didn't know each other at the time. I'd opened the show. Walks up during one of his songs singing, downs my beer, of which I'm kind of <laughs> upset about. Did he look at you and say, can I have most of that? Because I have a friend that used nope. to do that. He'd walk in. Walked up, <laughs> took it, drank it, made eye contact. Well, I think eye contact behind his sunglasses. Goes up to the bar and comes back and hands me a full beer and then starts dancing on the piano. I, felt, <laughs> I literally felt like I was in a documentary about CBG. <laughs> It is. They're my favorite local that's live so great. band, and that's Low Rats. We're talking that's about? Low Rats, and then uh, Milk Boys closes it. Who is um, Brock? Who's a sound guy over at Mort's? Matt Johnson, sound guy at any venue, but primarily Turf. <laughs> um, Hookandladder.org, I yep. imagine people can get the information. Is there a, a downtown destination for your stuff in Whiskey Rock and Roll Club? Yeah, we've got um, probably most actively active on instagram we right. do have a, our band camp has everything from our christmas song to our t-shirts to our tank tops to our hat we're a better brand than we are band and we love it are you, and look, and look, did you hear how that rolled off your tongue of course you are no your your merch is fantastic i remember the first time i saw the whiskey rock and roll club leather jackets i'm like son of a bitch back then i still drank and i was like how am i gonna get my hands on one of those now i'll probably let it go hey we have to wrap up yep. andy but this has been fantastic I'm excited about you, for you in particular, man, because you have always been a going out guy. You've always been part of the scene. You are out on the regular, and you're important to a lot of these venues that are slowly breathing back to life. The lungs are starting to move again, right? And so I'm excited for you, man, Thank and you. good luck, and I hope that this summer is as interesting and as cool as it could be. I have one favor. When you see Brian and I out, will you remember us? I deserve, we remember that. Our I deserve names. that. We remember just, just remember that. our names. I, see, I didn't say that. I, I did because I'm I, that guy. Yeah. I know you did. Brian know, and Jeff, I've got it. I, asshole. <laughs> All right, cut his mic. It's over. It's over. All right, no, 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 no we're, not, we're not done yet. We're not done yet because you have to tell me about the last song you chose. It's going to take us out. So, again, thanks to Smart Start MN. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Thanks to Audio Quip. As you start getting back out and doing live things again, they rent equipment and they've hooked us up with all the equipment in the studio. Um, but thanks to everybody who listens. Thanks to the Minnesota music scene. Thanks to Minnesota. And it's spring. It's lovely. And it's going to come back. But let's do it the right way. Before we go, Andy. Tell me who Volk is. This tune is from two of my friends from Nashville. It's uh, Chris Lowe and Elliot Reich. Um, they are a duo. Elliot wears these unbelievable sequence dresses that match her sequence drum kit. 
She's got an awesome tasseled cowboy hat. Chris is wearing fringe jackets. They are so loud and so passionate and so fiery. The two of them sound like 40. Um, they have a new record. This is their newest single, but they have a new record dropping on the 28th on Romanist Records. Uh, they're, they're out doing distance shows right now. They're picking up a ton of radio play in Nashville, which is great. They are, they don't need me, but they are my passion project. Like, they'll call me and I'll be like, here are the social media algorithms to work around because you deserve this. Right. And it's guaranteed that they're playing Mort's when they can, when things are open at Mort's. I've played with them there in three different bands over four different shows. I will play with Volk any chance I get. Fantastic news. Sean, I'll see you later. Oh. What? Thanks, Brian. I cut off my own mic. No after problem. Our guest called me Andy, Jeff. thank you very much. We're going to go out with the music of Volk here on the Brian Oka Show, episode 155. <laughs> Just.